Well, hey, Grace Chapel, great to be with you all. Glad you're joining us, either uh, one of our campuses or online. We're glad we can all be together. Happy spring. Why don't we uh, begin by getting ready for our message by standing and reading together our scripture text for the morning. We're going to look at a couple of texts, actually, but uh, this first one will come from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it's become something of a cliche or maybe a platitude and a bit of a controversial one at that. I'm thinking of the phrase thoughts and prayers. It becomes controversial when a politician speaks these words, usually in response to some national tragedy or a disaster. They go to the microphone, they take to Twitter, and they say something like, our thoughts and prayers are with the victims and their families. And it doesn't sit well with some people because it feels too often like a poor substitute for real action. That people who have authority, who have the opportunity to actually address these problems, choose instead to share a few pious words that seem to not require very much of them or result in any kind of action at all. Maybe you've seen some of the memes that have made their way onto the internet kind of expressing this bit of frustration. Here's one of them. A variety of options, things to be done in response to something awful and the choices, thoughts, and prayers. This next one's a little bit more unsettling. Excellent news, the first truckload of your thoughts and prayers has just arrived <laughs> and it's an empty truck pretty unsettling, especially for people of faith. But even when these words are spoken more personally and with real sincerity, they are still often met with cynicism and skepticism by people who either don't believe in God or don't believe in a God who, who actually cares or can do something about our problems. But for many of us, prayer is our instinctive response to any bit of bad news, whether it's a national tragedy or a friend's diagnosis. I'll be praying for you, we say, and we mean it. But do we actually do it? Do we specifically and intentionally bring that person and their need before the Lord in prayer? And when we do, do we really believe it's going to make a difference? 
that our prayer might somehow move the supernatural hand of God to intervene in some dramatic way? Thoughts and prayers. As we continue our way through this unfiltered prayer series, we want to think today about praying for other people. Two weeks ago, we talked about praying when we're in trouble. Last week, we talked about prayer when we have questions. But it seems to me most of the prayers we offer are prayers for other people, aren't they? Prayers for our loved one, prayers, prayers for family, prayers for neighbors, for co-workers, uh, prayers for people and needs around the world. You'll notice I didn't include prayers for Duke or Texas Tech, okay, or whoever you happen to have in your bracket. I will let them figure things out on their own. Many of these prayers are spontaneous, in the moment, and often unfiltered prayers, because they often come in response to a tough moment. There was a tragic death in one of our local high schools this week. I heard about it here at church as I drove home that night. I, I wanted to pray, but I was having a hard time getting words out. How do you pray in response to something like that? I didn't, I didn't know anything about the family or the circumstances. And what was I praying for? And what, what difference would it make? I struggled, but I wanted to pray. So how and why do we pray for other people? Let's try to find some answers in a couple of stories we're going to look at from the Gospel of Matthew. The first one is found here in Matthew chapter, five, chapter 8, the one we just read. The story begins, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Now, this is one of 10 miracle stories in two chapters of Matthew's gospel, eight and nine, 10 miracle stories. Matthew's obviously trying to communicate Jesus' power and authority, not only over disease, but over demons and disaster and death itself. In this story, a centurion, a Roman soldier, comes to Jesus asking for help. And this is a highly unusual situation. I mean, for one thing, this man is an officer. He's used to giving commands, not begging for help. For another, he's a Roman soldier, which means he's an enemy and an oppressor of Jesus, of the Jewish people. Thirdly, he's a pagan. So typically, he would offer his prayers to any one of the pantheon of Roman deities. Under normal circumstances, a man like this would have nothing to do with a Jewish rabbi. But these are not normal circumstances. His servant is sick. He's suffering, and he's about to die, Luke tells us in his gospel. So this is a tough moment. As remarkable as this man's prayer is, Jesus' response is just as remarkable. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. Jesus doesn't confront or challenge the man at all. Nothing like, what are you doing asking me for help? He doesn't embarrass the man, doesn't humiliate the man, doesn't hesitate at all to say, I'm going to respond. But the remarkableness of this story just keeps on coming. The centurion says back, teacher, you don't even need to come to my house. Just say the word and he'll be healed. Now, even for a culture that was more open to miracles than ours might be, a long-distance miracle was another story altogether. And that's what this man is asking for. 
And Jesus is so impressed by this man's unfiltered faith, he not only heals the servant on the spot from a distance, he affirms this man's faith in front of the whole crowd. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And the servant was healed at that very hour. There's a whole lot we could talk about here, but the one thing I want to call our attention to is the care and concern this man has for his servant. Remember, it's a servant. It's not a son or a daughter. It's not a friend or a neighbor. It's not even one of his soldiers. It's his slave, probably one of many slaves he's owned in the course of his life, a slave he probably captured on the field of battle or bought somewhere on an auction block. And yet he cares. He seems to have such affection for this servant and for his suffering that he's willing to traipse across the hills of Galilee, track down a renegade rabbi named Jesus, and publicly humiliate himself by asking for help. This man's actions reveal one of the reasons we pray for other people. It brings us closer to them. When we pray for other people, it brings us closer to them. Because when we pray for someone, we don't just see their need, we respond to their need. We, we feel their pain or their hurt or their trouble. We feel it with them. We feel it for them. We, we engage our minds, our hearts, and our mouths as we speak and advocate and intercede for them before God. And we do that whether they're family members or, or colleagues or, or even strangers. Praying for people forces us to think about them, to consider their circumstance, to track their progress, to stay in touch with them, perhaps to offer some help to articulate a better outcome for them. And that brings us closer to them as human beings, for one thing, and certainly as brothers or sisters or friends or family. And that connection is powerful, that human connection. It changes them and it changes us. Studies have shown again and again that patients who know they're being prayed for recover more quickly and more completely. Prayer brings us closer. I've shared with you before that I like to keep a little prayer list that I use to kind of guide my prayer for people during the week. It's a little, little five-by-seven card. I've got it divided up into five days, and I kind of take all the people of my life, and I kind of spread them out across those five days. So there's my, immediately fam my immediate family, of course, and my extended family, and Karen's extended family, some of the neighbors we have on our block that we're thinking about, um, mission partners here at church, our five campuses, so I just spread them out like that, which means that if I keep up with it, which I don't do every week, but if I keep up with it, every week I think about every significant person in my life, who they are, where they are, what's happening, and mention them by name and bring them before the Lord in prayer. That brings me closer to them and often prompts me to reach out to them in some way. Last weekend I was at a family wedding down in North Carolina. And over the course of the weekend, uh, one of my aunts was there, my mom's sister, who I hardly ever see anymore. In the course of conversation, she said to me, uh, she said, you know, I pray for you and for your church every Sunday morning. You know, I thought about that this morning as I was going over this message, and I suddenly felt closer to Aunt Nancy. 
And Aunt Nancy doesn't just pray for me every Sunday. She's made it to every one of our kids' weddings, wherever they happen to be around the country. When we pray for people, it brings us closer to them. And that's powerful in their lives and in ours. But that's just a start. Let's go to another story. This one also told by Matthew in chapter 15. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now, it looks as though Jesus is trying to escape the crowd, get a little peace and quiet, so much so that he's willing to venture into Gentile territory. But someone comes and finds him anyway, this Canaanite woman. Now, remember, the Canaanites were ancient enemies of Israel. For generations, they waged war against Israel. And time and time again, they led Israel astray into idolatry. The Canaanites were to the the people of Israel what what Al-Qaeda is to the United States. There was hostility and animosity on both sides. And yet here she is, coming to Jesus. And then look at her prayer, crying out, making a spectacle of herself. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus is trying to lay low, and she's calling him out in public. As uncomfortable as the moment is, it gets worse. Jesus did not answer her a word. He ignores her. Seems pretty rude. Doesn't even give her the time of day. Now, we've seen Jesus do this once or twice before, so we'll come back to this in a minute. But for the moment, don't miss the fact that this conversation begins with an unanswered prayer. Now, maybe you learned in Sunday school there's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. Well, here's one. And if you go through the scriptures, there are quite a few what appear to be unanswered prayers. We'll talk more about that next week. The woman keeps asking. So his disciples came to him and urged him, saying, send her away. She keeps crying after us. This unfiltered prayer is getting annoying. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, whether the woman heard him say this or not, we don't know, but he seems to be putting her off, telling her that his mission is to the people of Israel. But is it only to the people of Israel? Was he just quoting a common sentiment of the day? Is he testing her, testing his disciples? Once again, she's not deterred. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. Now she's not only crying out, she's throwing herself at his feet. And you know why? She's a mom, she's a mother. And her daughter, her little girl, is suffering, paralyzed. She'll do anything. She'll go anywhere. She'll ask anyone. This is what parents do. Parents, how many of your prayers are prayers for your children? And how long have you been praying some of those prayers for them? It's what moms do. It's what dads do. It's what aunts and uncles do. It's what grandparents do. So you can't blame her. 
But once again, Jesus seems unmoved. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. He brings out this old, tired Jewish-Gentile controversy as if God has no interest in people outside the house of Israel. Does he really mean it? Or is he turning this into a teachable moment? Does he see something in this woman that needs to be drawn out, that needs to be declared for her sake and the sake of those listening? Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. You've got to love this woman. I want this woman on our team. <laughs> she's got husband. She's not even Jewish, right? She just... I mean, she challenges Jesus. She actually contradicts Jesus. It's not right, he says. Oh, yes, it is, she says back. Who argues with God and gets away with it? She does. Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very hour. Jesus not only heals her daughter at that moment, long distance, by the way, he also affirms her faith in front of all the watching people, including the disciples who wanted to send her away. Now, I don't know if you've been reading the Rediscover Jesus book that some of us are reading during this Lenten season, but if you have been, depending where you are in the book, you might have read these lines from one of the chapters this week. It's chapter 17. Matthew Kelly writes, Jesus took people whom you and I would mindlessly pass on the street, people we would never choose to be in the same room with, people from the very margins of society, and he placed them at the center of the gospel. This woman is one of those people. She had no business approaching Jesus with a request like this. Hers is a poorly timed, politically incorrect, theologically suspect prayer. But she prays it anyway. And Jesus hears it anyway. And Jesus answers it anyway. And 2,000 years later, we're till, still telling her story. So here's the takeaway from this story. When we pray for others, it not only brings us closer to them, it brings us closer to God. When we pray for other people, it brings us closer to God. This Canaanite woman would never have had any reason to, to approach a Jewish rabbi if not for her desperate concern for her very sick daughter if not for her stubborn request that Jesus do something for her daughter. That prayer not only healed her daughter, it turned the spiritual outsider into an insider. And in that moment brought her closer to Jesus than even his 12 disciples. Prayer does that for us. It brings us closer to God. It reminds us of our dependence upon him. It stretches our faith it forces us to, to wrestle with our theology, to, to face the darkness in our lives and in the world. Drives us to Jesus, as it did with this woman. One of my devotional readings during the season of Lent reminded me of something called the Jesus Prayer. And maybe you're familiar with the Jesus Prayer. It's an old Christian tradition that came down through the Eastern Orthodox Church. It's a very simple prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
That's it. That's the whole prayer. But the idea is to pray that prayer many times a day as you make your way through the day. One of the practices is to breathe that prayer. To inhale, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, and then exhale. Have mercy on me, a sinner. So I've been trying that for a couple of weeks now. It takes about 10 seconds. But every time I pray that prayer, I suddenly feel closer to the Lord. Wherever I am, whatever I'm doing in the midst of that day, suddenly the Lord feels closer. It reminds me of, of who he is. Lord, he's my master. Jesus, he's my friend. Christ, he's my savior. Son of God, he's the maker of heaven and earth. Come down to be with me. And it reminds me of who I am. A sinner. A fallen human being. Made in the image of God for eternal glory. But all too often settling for something far less than that. Every time I pray that prayer, I just feel closer to the Lord. So I've also taken to start praying that prayer for other people as I encounter them, as they make my way through the day. And maybe that happens to you sometimes. You make your way through your day, and for, for some reason, someone catches your attention. Maybe, maybe it's a sales clerk who's especially kind and helpful to you. Maybe it's someone sitting across from you in the doctor's office looking worried. Maybe it's a someone in a TSA line at the airport and they seem to have the weight of the world on their shoulders. Maybe it's a homeless person you pass. This prayer gives us an opportunity when we see people like that to, to pray for them. And so that's what I've been doing. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on them, sinners. And in that moment, I feel closer to God and, and closer to them. They're fellow human beings, fellow travelers with me. And so as I made my way home that night in the car, wondering how to pray after that tragic death, this is where I finally landed. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, have mercy on them, have mercy on the whole lot of us, sinners in need of grace. And so those are a couple of reasons that thoughts and prayers matter. They bring us closer to others and they bring us closer to God. But there's one more thing we'll touch on quickly as we set ourselves up for next week. One more reason is maybe the most obvious reason but also the most controversial. When we pray for others, it brings us closer to them, closer to God, and closer to God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me take you down to Matthew's summary of this whole section, verse 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. See, wherever Jesus went, he brought the kingdom of God with him. So when he spoke a word, 
When he touched somebody, when he looked a person in the eye, the power of heaven was unleashed into that person, into that moment. So storms were stilled and demons were dispelled and people were made whole and set free and brought back to life. And these miracles, all of them, I believe, were prompted because someone dared to pray. Someone brought their friend or neighbor or stranger or neighbor to Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy, and he did. We pray because it works. Now, when I say prayer works, I don't mean we always get what we want. I don't mean there's a one-to-one -one correspondence. I don't mean there's some spiritual formula. Say the right words, have enough faith, answered prayer. Prayer is way more mysterious and more complicated than that, and we'll talk about it next week. When I say prayer works, I mean it unleashes the power of God into our lives, the person we're praying for, and into the wider world around us. It's clear from the scripture, in some mysterious way, our prayers move the hand of God. And it changes things. Sometimes it changes circumstances. Always it changes hearts, our hearts, and the hearts of those we pray for. So thoughts and prayers are not a poor substitute for action. They are the first real action. We often talk about firefighters and police officers and EMTs as first responders to tragedy, and they are, and we're grateful for them. But you know what? Prayers are also first responders. The first thing we can do in the moment, invite the power and presence of God into any moment, any person's life. On Wednesday nights here in Lent, a group of us have been gathering to pray. We spend a little time on the scripture and then we just pray. We pray for each other. We pray for the church and for needs that we're aware of. We pray for our friends and neighbors and relatives. We pray for our mission partners around the world. We pray for the needs of the world. And the needs and the names are just way too many for any of us to do anything about. All we can do is name them and bring them before God. But as I drive home after prayer meeting, I feel like I may have done my most important work of the week in that hour bringing people before the Lord in prayer. And know that when you put your prayers in any one of these prayer walls that we have on our campuses, our staff and our prayer teams are praying for them throughout this week. Prayer invites the power of God into our lives and into our world. Thoughts and prayers matter because they drive us to seek and follow and serve Christ more fully. And when we do that, we take one step closer to advancing the kingdom of God in this world. That's what prayer does. Isn't that how, how Jesus taught us? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every time we pray, we are one prayer closer to God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Every Jesus prayer we breathe brings us one breath closer to becoming the people and the body of Christ he would have us to be. When we pray for others, it brings us closer to them. It brings us closer to God. And it brings us closer to God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven.